Welcome to Peace, Peace Love, and Soup, audio nourishment for the heart and mind, with Brian Delaney and Tave Fache Drake. Hola. Hola. ¿Cómo estás? Muy bien, gracias. ¿Y tú? <laughs> Muy bueno. Ahora, paz, amor y sopa con Tave e Benito. Sí, es mi nombre de uh, español cuando yo soy muy pequeño. Benito. Benito. Oh. <laughs> este mes es junio. Junio. Sí. And this month we are celebrating the tomato in all its Spanish glory. We'll be making the Spanish soup gazpacho after a quick cultural lesson from Spaniard and my friend Antonio Diaz. Then we'll discuss planting and the over 7,000 varieties of the incredible tomato with Lori Vollmer of Garden Fever. Brian, tomatoes are a lot like people. Mm -hmm. They come in a variety of sizes and colors with unique characteristics. So true. And since June is Gay Pride Month, we'd like to celebrate human diversity, specifically the LGBTQIA community. We therefore are calling this month's episode Gaspacho. Ole. Ole. Bueno. Oh yeah, bueno. Antonio Diaz is a celebrity hairdresser working in print, advertising, and television based in New York City, but born in Spain, the birthplace of Gaspacho. Hola, Antonio. Welcome to our show. Hola, Antonio. Hi, how are you doing, guys? Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Speaking of Spanish, can you translate welcome to peace, love, and soup into Spanish for us? Yeah. Bienvenidos a Paz, Amor y Sopa. You know, when Tave and I decided, hey, let's do gazpacho this month, you were the first person that popped into my head. Yes. <laughs> so, so tell me about growing up with gazpacho, your heritage, your culture. I was born in Granada, moved to Barcelona when I was 11 years old. Where I grew up, it was like 60s, and we were going for three decades already of the Franco dictatorship. Spain was pretty much behind in technology, and we didn't even have at the time a fridge. So it was like a cold room, and they delivered some ice a couple of times a week. And uh, one of the oldest memories I might have is when I was a child, and my grandmother was the expert in gazpacho. In the summer, from the time the tomatoes, they were start being fresh, any time you were hungry or you needed some, some comfort food, it was always gazpacho in the kitchen. It's interesting to hear gazpacho being called a comfort food because I guess with it being chilled, I don't think of it as being comforting. Yeah, I mean, here in the States, the way we see it is like a cold, light soup. But the ingredients, my grandma used to put bread on it and uh, toasted almonds. And for that, you needed to really blend it very well. So it became like thicker and much more heavier than the tomato soup we normally have here. So we were also reading about green gazpacho, but really the tomato gazpacho, like that is the gazpacho of Spain. That is, yeah. The gazpacho we're talking is the classic one with the tomatoes. It's what we call gazpacho andaluz. It's from Andalusia. And how do you say it? Andalu Andalusia. When I was in, I think it was high school or just after college, and I went to Spain for my first time, I believe I ordered gazpacho in a bar, like walk up and get a glass and drink it and leave. It wasn't like a restaurant sit-down experience. Is that still the case? Or Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Especially mm -hmm. in the South, there is 
gazpacho and some of them even salmorejo, which is just like another layer of gazpacho and uh, it's much more basic. It's just tomato and garlic, a little bit of onion and bread. And then you can chop Iberian ham and boiled eggs and you cut it in cubes and that is the garnishing that you just put on top of it. Then they have it in any bar in the South. So that's probably what I was ordering, the salmoreo? Salmoreo. Would gazpacho be chunkier? Uh, It could, but my grandma's, it was always very creamy. And if you didn't blend it that much, it will get chunkier and sometimes not so pleasant for the throat. Oh, so to clarify, when you're saying creamy, there was not dairy added to it. No, it's amazing. The almonds and the bread, actually, you can, as a garnishing, you use all the ingredients like the cucumber, the pepper, and you cut all that in little cubes, and then you garnish it on top of it with a little drizzle of olive oil, and, uh, and that's it. It's making me hungry just hearing about it, actually. (laughs) I think we should try to make his grandmother's gazpacho. Yeah, we want to have your gazpacho recipe. (laughs) And tell us, how do we gay it up? Because it's gazpacho. (laughs) Yes. How do we give gazpacho the pride it deserves? (laughs) I will add a cup of love and kisses. What a romantic he is. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I'm blushing, actually. (laughs) I'm as red as a tomato. (laughs) What we could do is take a rainbow of colors of vegetables, diced fine and make a little rainbow (laughs) on top of our bowl of soup as a garnish. We know how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know about the Tomatina Festival in Spoonwell, Spain? Spoonwell, yeah. I've never been there, but the images I've seen in videos, sometimes it feels fun and sometimes it feels very gross. I mean, people there are totally covered in tomatoes and it's just like people rolling around the tomatoes. It's like... I don't know. <laughs> it's like pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I saw one of the videos and it was a huge dump truck with a top off. And then they were just right. throwing mounds of tomatoes at the crowds and they're getting tossed on and then they're tossing back. Totally a tomato soup town. <laughs> we read that there were over 300,000 pounds of tomatoes being thrown at that festival. Imagine so. cleaning that up. <laughs> nope. So this tomato <laughs> festival, that's in Buñuel? Buñuel, yeah. Well, it reminded me of Louis Buñuel, who is uh-huh. one of my favorite surrealist filmmakers from Spain. Yeah, pretty much he's the one who put Spanish cinema in, in the map, you know. The image I have is just sharp knives just cutting the eyes. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's one of the first pieces of early cinema, and it is it's a Dali and Buñuel collaboration. That image of the moon with a cloud going across it, and then it cuts to this eye with a, a razor going through it. Yes, yes. Speaking about Spanish cinema, uh, what about Pedro Almodovar? Are you a fan? I mean, I'm totally a fan, and actually, at the time that they were filming Woman on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, I was starting my career, so I did assist in that film as a hair assistant. And um, I remember I was in the army, so in my time free, I was assisting one of these hairdressers. And so I was on the set, and it was pretty amazing what a talented man he is. Oh my God. I don't I'm even know where to begin with the questions. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> At that time, I didn't even know Pedro Almodovar. And <laughs> Have you seen him since? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've seen him a couple of times, yeah. So do you put barbiturates in your gazpacho? Like Pedro did. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) At least my grandma did it. (laughs) 
And tell me about Antonio Banderas. I had such a crush on him in his younger days. I mean, who didn't? No, I never met Antonio, unfortunately. Oh, mm-hmm. all right, whatever. Antonio Banderas should be so lucky to meet Antonio Diaz. Hello. That's what I think. And so you were in the army and moonlighting <laughs> as a hairdresser, and that's how you got your start in hairdressing. Oh, no, my hairdressing story started much earlier. You're going to have to tell me about how you became a hairdresser. Well, the first story that it came to my mind, I was probably six and a half, seven years old, and I was pretty much collecting the LNET empty hairspray from my mom and the broken doll from my sister, and I just went through some rooms in the back of where we were living, and I created my first and my only hair salon. I had an uncle, and he was a barber, so I remember when I went to the hair salon to get my hair done, I was just hiding and collecting whatever hair I could. The dolls, they didn't have hairs, they were bald, so I just took like corn threads or cut hair or whatever, got closer to hair, and I glued it to the head. It was very creative at that time. Were your parents accepting of this? Wait a second. Pretty much I got punished for that. But you persisted. Yes. And when did you come to New York? Uh, 27 years ago. And it takes you around the world. Pretty much. It's amazing. That is what I would encourage young people. Whatever dream you have, just go for it. Don't be afraid. Even if you're not accepted or your family doesn't accept it, don't let anyone stop you in any sense work hard and believe in it and make it happen. That's so beautiful. Antonio, it was a real treat to get to talk to you today about all sorts of things Spanish. Good luck with this amazing adventure you started. I'm very proud of my man. Oh, my darling. Well, thank you so much. I had a great time. Wonderful. Gracias, gracias. And happy gay pride. Muchas gracias por escuchar y estar con Kiss Love and Soup. Now for the ever popular segment in our show, Did You Know? Did you know? Tomatoes grew wild in Central and South America and were mostly yellow and cherry-like in size rather than the red larger ones we know today. They spread throughout the world following the Spanish colonization of the Americas in the 1500s. From Latin America, the Spanish took tomatoes to the Philippines, and from there they were introduced to Asia and then back to Europe where they easily grew in the Spanish Mediterranean climate. It would be a hundred years still until tomatoes spread to southern Italy, where they were called pomodoro, or apple of gold. Italians first grew them as ornamentals in flower beds, long before they began eating them. Its scientific-specific name, like a persicum, means wolf peach and comes from the German werewolf myths. Upon the tomato's arrival in Western Europe, legends said that this deadly nightshade was used by witches and sorcerers in potions to transform themselves into werewolves. Due to these myths, the rest of Western Europe believed tomatoes to be poisonous, and they were very suspicious of this bright and shiny fruit far into the mid-1800s. Fun fact. The leaves, stem, and green unripe fruit of the tomato plant are in fact slightly poisonous. They contain a small amount of the toxic alkaloid tomatine, only dangerous to humans if consumed in large amounts, but very toxic to dogs should they chew the plant material. I did not know this Mm -hmm. before, and I am a dog owner. 
the world traveling tomato finally made its debut in the young country of the United States in the mid to late 1700s. Coming by way of the Caribbean, tomatoes were first cultivated in South Carolina, while simultaneously being introduced in California and parts of the Southwest through the Spanish missions. Did you know, in 1887, U.S. tariff laws that imposed a duty on vegetables but not on fruits caused the tomato's status to become a matter of legal importance. A Supreme Court settled this controversy in 1893 by declaring that the tomato is indeed a vegetable, based on the popular definition that vegetables are served with dinner and not dessert. Did you know that botanically, a tomato is a fruit, a berry? It is less sweet than other fruits because of its lower sugar content. Tomatoes are not the only food with this ambiguity. Bell peppers, cucumbers, green beans, eggplants, avocados, and even squashes of all kinds, such as zucchini and pumpkins, are all botanically fruits, yet cooked as vegetables. A medium tomato has 20 calories and contains 40% of the daily recommended value of vitamin C, 20% vitamin A, and 6% of fiber. Even better for you than citrus. There is twice the amount of nutrition in a homegrown vine-ripened tomato versus commercially matured green gas-ripened ones. So grow them in a pot, in the ground, or buy fresh from your local farmer's market. There's a variety for all tastes. Peace, love, and soup listeners, we are here with Lori Vollmer at her beautiful yard and garden store in Northeast Portland called Garden Fever, and we are getting her professional take on tomatoes. Hello, Lori. Hi. What is your favorite thing about tomatoes? Well, I love to eat them. That's my favorite thing about them. (laughs) You know, they're seasonal, and so it's something you get treated to only certain time of the year, and there's nothing like fresh tomatoes that you grow. A lot of people are starting their gardening by doing houseplants. People are looking at them for what they can do to create a beautiful environment inside, cleaning the air, all that good stuff. We have a class that is all about growing vegetables in pots, and we had one specifically focused on all the solanums, which would be tomatoes, eggplants, and peppers. That's a really popular class because there's a lot of people that, you know, have balconies or they don't have anywhere in their yard that has enough sun because all those plants need full sun. That means morning till sunset. 12 hours of sunlight. Mm -hmm. What would you suggest for someone who says, I can't grow anything, I don't have a green thumb? (laughs) I would say sun golds. Tomatoes, you'll see on the back of the seed packets or on the tags, it'll say, 55 days, 75 days, 80 days, that's how many days to harvest. And in our climate, it's often good to get a variety because some of your bigger tomatoes are going to take 80, 85 days. But you want to start eating before then. The sun goals, they develop fairly quickly. It's some of the first ones. There's things like Oregon Spring, and there's another heirloom called Stupice or Stupice from a colder part of the world and they are a smaller salad at size and so those are ready for harvest sooner. So I'll look for some sun gold. What else should I look for? You want to look for something that says it's a container variety which you can do with lots of other vegetables too. They even have container zucchinis now and when you plant tomatoes you really want to add lime to the hole that contains calcium and it helps the plant take up as much calcium as it needs because that is one of the causes for blossom end rot when you have little brown black rotty 
parts on the end of the tomato, the blossom end. Mm -hmm. So you add lime and you add an organic fertilizer for vegetables, usually a quarter cup approximately of each. And then say about six weeks out, I would advise another second feeding. Do tomatoes like to be watered from above, like a shower? Do they like to be watered right at the soil level? You really want to be watered at the soil level. You want to use either a drip tape or a drip system or your watering can or the end of your hose nozzle right around the base of the plant. Try to keep the foliage as dry as possible. And as a matter of fact, when my plants get up to about four feet. I take the leaves off of the main stem from the ground up about a foot and that prevents the water from splashing onto the soil where the fungal spores are and bouncing up underneath onto the leaves and it keeps good air circulation because fungus does not like air circulation. Great tip. And in addition, isn't that going to send more energy up to the top of that plant where the fruit's growing? Yeah. What is an interesting fact or something that someone might not know about tomatoes? Well, a lot of people don't know that tomatoes actually grow roots on any part of the stem that is underground. Now, my grandparents all knew that, and that's why they planted their tomatoes sideways, laying horizontally with just the top coming up. But what we do now is that we take the bottom leaves off and we leave about four inches to six inches on top. The rest of the plant we bury. So you have a nice deep root zone. The root ball at the bottom never quite dries out. That's the purpose of it. So if you're in an area that doesn't get a lot of summer rain like ours, that is really Mediterranean, you want those roots to go down deep. Just depends on how big your plant is, because you got to have some on the top to keep growing. And when do they die? Well, the first frost. Okay. Uh, sometimes they die before that. If we have a really wet, cold fall, they'll start getting fungal diseases and turn black. I mean, that's tomato blight. But by then, it's like you got to say, thank you for all that you've given me, and now you're going away. And you're not going to go in the compost pile if you've got all that fungus. It's better to not put any kind of diseased plant actually in your compost pile. It's better to throw it in the trash. But I always say the garbage needs a little compost material too. So maybe you could <laughs> enlighten us and our listeners about the difference between determinate and indeterminate tomatoes, Lori. Okay, so determinate tomatoes are varieties that grow to a predetermined size. And they put all of their blooms on at once and their fruit all develops at once and you end up harvesting them all at once. So that would be great for somebody who wants to do canning or freezing or making sauces and then preserving them. And then it's done, the tomato plant is done. The indeterminate will keep growing to an indetermined size. So it keeps getting taller and taller, it keeps putting blooms on, those blooms keep developing tomatoes all season long. And so at the end of the year, you'll end up with still some green tomatoes on there. What is a hybrid tomato? Just a tomato that was developed for a certain purpose by crossing two varieties together or playing around with it till you develop something with a purple skin, which is an unusual skin for tomatoes. The market near our place, periodically, they'll just say heirloom tomatoes. And mm -hmm. there are all sorts of different colors and odd sizes. Well, what makes a tomato an heirloom, not being a gardener um, myself? It makes it an heirloom if it's not hybridized. And then also the word heirloom is used for tomatoes that have been grown for like 100 years, I would say. And those are from all over the world. 
Uh, all of our tomatoes are grown either organically or sustainably. And what that means is we also buy from some very small growers, local growers that really can't afford to pay for that organic license, but we support them because they are supporting organic growing. Those are the people we especially want to support. Our neighbors, and we want to keep that kind of stuff in the community and keep smaller businesses in business. Absolutely, yeah. Give us some ideas of different sizes and varieties okay. of tomatoes. Well, you've got everything from tiny current size round tomatoes going into a little bit larger cherry tomatoes, some of those shaped like little pears, and then you go into oval shaped paste tomatoes, and those are usually the ones that you make sauces out of. Like aroma would be one like of Like aroma is a paste tomato, and then saladette size for cutting and putting in salads. Then you go into more like slicers and that kind of thing, and the original hybrid that was meant to be big and beefy, and that was a huge slicer. And so now they call them beef steaks. And then one yellow tomato with a really rosy stripe through it is called striped German. And those get huge, like a two pound tomato. Do you have a favorite variety and why? I have a number of favorite varieties. <laughs> I like the really dark tomatoes. So I like carbon, C-A-R-B-O-N. It's got a really rich flavor. My favorite cherry, it's the favorite of all of our customers, at least here at Garden Fever, is Sun Gold. They are indeterminate. They grow very, very tall. They keep producing. They're a smaller orangey yellow tomato. A lot of the yellow colored tomatoes have lower acid than the red. And they're very sweet yet tart uh, and very juicy. And I like to just eat them right off the vine. And you could also roast them in the oven and make some kind of a sauce or a pesto or something. And the favorite thing for me, since you guys talk about eating and cooking, my favorite thing with the Sun Golds is I cut them in half, toss them in olive oil, mix them with little shards of fresh garlic, salt, and pepper. And I like to put a little bit of sweet curry on them. And I also throw in sliced onions and I toss that all together, put it on a sheet pan and I roast it at like 400 degrees until it starts to cook way down and starting to brown a little bit. And then I freeze that. And whenever I have a little dinner party or something and I need a little appetizer with cheese and crackers and bread, I pull that out. And it's the curry that people don't recognize. It's just a savory richness to it. And you could make a tomato soup like that too. Immersion blender in there, little stock of some kind, it would be delicious. Well, like we're doing gazpacho, gazpacho for Gay Pride this month, but that would be a great cold soup too, your recipe, a dip or a cold soup. When I say gazpacho, what comes to mind? A really fun gazpacho. (laughs) (laughs) That's what comes to mind. And a gazpacho that's got all kinds of tomatoes in it, nice and ripe for the full flavor. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for feeding us this information. (laughs) My pleasure. Can't wait to start eating those tomatoes. While virtually all commercial tomato varieties are red, some heirloom cultivars produce fruits in green, orange, pink, black, white, and purple. For every skin color, there is a different flavor or something that makes it special inside. Variations include multicolored tomatoes with stripes like the green zebra, fuzzy skin like that of the fuzzy peach tomato, but probably the most appropriate for our Pride Celebrating Month is my favorite, Big Rainbow. You're listening to Peace, Love, and Soup.
and in honor of June being Pride Month, we are going to be conversing with Zara Bone. Zara is a member of the Northwest Queer Chorus, and their mission is to amplify the voices of Portland's queer people through musical excellence in a community that models radical acceptance across the state and nation. Welcome to Peace, Love, and Soup, Zara. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you could come and join us, Zara. Um, Zara and I met at, would you like to tell them? Uh, sure. So uh, we met at a DBT group, Dialectical Behavior Therapy, uh, which is great. It and is. Tave's really good at. Well, and so I, and is Zara. <laughs> no, Zara's excellent. Actually, we're all really good in that class. We're always looking at each other being like, the rest of the world needs this more than we do. Absolutely. What, what is it? What is it? Well, you tell. Oh, gosh. So... It is a way of being more mindful of your actions and your reactions and just being more aware. Things like uh, stopping to think before you act, how to deal with people who may not be thinking before they act. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. And I think it's the type of thing where if you are a parent, you should have this. If you work with any sort of public service work, you should definitely have this. And truthfully, and I say this, I think every week, I think there should be some sort of a component of this in middle school and in high school and for, for absolutely everybody. Because really all it is is having good boundaries, being kind, having clear communication skills, and knowing when to, you know, knowing when to check out and at the same time, Protecting yourself, but keeping your heart open. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So and I liked when I asked, oh, hey, should we talk about this on the radio? And you said, I'm all for mental health being encouraged. Yeah. I mean, so many people have mental health struggles now, and it's becoming less and less stigmatized, but we still need to work on it. Exactly. And I mean, I, this is a thing, too, that really is prominent in many communities because of the types of things we deal with societally. And so any sort of ways that we can have better tools for that are great. And other things that we can do for ourselves, everybody for that matter, just to keep ourselves bright and sunny and singing, so to speak. And on that note, how, of. how long have you been singing with the Northwest Queer Chorus? So I was one of the founding members and we have about 45 people each season. Uh, it's actually, I'm going to um, tell a funny story. Please do. So I saw a post on Facebook that talked about this queer course and sign up for emails. And I thought, oh, great, I can sign up for to find out when their next performances are and, you know, keep in touch because... I identify as pansexual. I have been in the queer community for a long time, and I really want to support that. So I'll go to go to shows and send them money, and it'll be great uh, because I like doing things from a distance. I'm not a people person. <laughs> no, I don't believe that. I know. You, Nobody she, does. She fools me. Yeah. So I signed up for this email list, and... About a week later, I got an email that said, thanks for signing up with us. We can't wait to see you at rehearsal. And I kind of oh, went, what? They tricked you? There was they... no audition process? No. Okay. We are non-audition. We accept everybody. Uh, we have various levels of singers. We have lots of people that have been part of the Portland's Gay Men's Chorus and the Portland Lesbian Choir. Mm -hmm. But we also have people who have never sung as part of a group. Or as anything other than, you know, outside their showers or their cars. 
so we are not audition. Uh, we have all sorts of people. We have non-binary people and all across the genders. Uh, our executive director, who's idea this was at the very beginning uh, wanted to have somewhere that we could all come together wasn't just for gay men wasn't just for lesbians wasn't just for trans people uh, all genders all races uh, and like you said radical acceptance of anybody who wanted to be part of this community so that was kind of where the idea started uh, and it's been really great to see people come out of their shells uh you know especially people that have never sang before to you know see them perform and see their faces light up but you know people people actually like us they're clapping for us it's wonderful it's empowering i mean i think the type of thing where, where people are coming at that and they haven't had that experience singing before particularly in public it opens up something in you and when you when you are out there and you're with an audience that wants to love you, you know, it, it really is, I think it lights something inside people and it just opens them up to themselves and to the rest of the world. And I love it. Zara, did you perform in high school plays and such? Uh, I did. I was a musician in high school, actually starting from elementary school. I did various instruments and singing, but I hadn't done anything since high school. Okay. I spent um, my two years at the end of high school as part of the uh, Portland Youth Symphony here in town. I played the flute. Wow. But we'll have to have you on another episode <laughs> for flautists. Oh, no. No, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't think my f fingers would remember how. Uh, but I hadn't done any music with anyone else since high school. And that was, uh, well, my 20 year reunion is coming up this summer. So wow. it's been a while. I, well, and this is another thing, so dear audience members, I will inform you that I'm in an all-female Merle Haggard tribute band called Girl Haggard, spelled like Merle but with a G. But one of the things I like to talk about on stage is music is for everybody, and it doesn't matter if you've never done it before, it doesn't matter if you started as a kid, There's the time is now, and we can all use more music in our lives. And I think your story exemplifies that too, even if you've had a break of five years, 20 years, and or if you've never started, you can pick something up. And when you're in an environment, whether it's on your own feeling comfortable, singing in the shower, learning to play something as an adult because you have more patience, um, or out with a group of people that are accepting, you can learn pretty quickly. It's a pretty neat thing. The other neat thing about our chorus is that we don't use sheet music. And most people in our chorus don't read music, have never been taught. Right. Uh, so you don't even need to have that kind of knowledge. Uh, we have an accompanist and between our accompanist and our artistic director and conductor, uh, they are a wonderful human being and are so supportive of the chorus uh, and get somehow get the the best notes and music and colorful sound out of us <laughs> and I can vouch for that I've seen them it was absolutely amazing and breathtaking and I think everybody in the audience um, when I saw them was speechless and then euphoric and so loud afterwards it was it was a really empowering thing for the audience so hey why don't we play a little piece from practice right now maybe yeah that would be wonderful Great. 
That was incredible. How many hours of rehearsal took to putting that show on? Oh, we rehearse for about an hour and a half every week at the First Christian Church. They are so generous and so supportive to let us rehearse there every week. And we're planning on having two shows a year. Uh, So we get about six months of practice. Uh, A lot of groups have theirs in you know christmas time december we moved ours to january so everybody could kind of be done with the whole christmas thing and the stress of the holidays and with it being pride month what are you all doing to celebrate pride so many things we actually have quite a busy schedule and tickets are available through our website nwqueerchorus.lgbt Well, so one of the things that comes to mind for me is the fact that we're calling this Queer Chorus. How specifically does this differ from other choruses? I know you sort of touched on it a little before, but just so our listeners are can be, you know, really clear. So we will accept people who are gay, lesbian, trans, bi, pansexual, non-binary. We'll take anybody. Whereas a lot of the other choruses, not just here in Portland, but throughout the country, usually break up their identities. These are the gay men. These are the lesbians. These are, there's, you know, we have a youth chorus, but there's still not that kind of bridge between those 18 to, you know, 23 year olds that aren't really adults yet, but aren't kids anymore either. All age as well then. All ages. It's a beautiful thing to behold. I was thinking back to the quote at the very end of the practice there. And Brian pulled some of the really great quotes that you all have off your website. Oh, yeah, from Facebook. Do you oh, want to start yeah. us off? Our, on... our social media guy is very big into memes. So there's lots. But the one that we really embrace, and in fact, it's on our chorus t-shirts, oh. is uh, Queer is Our Middle Name. Which it really is. We're the Northwest Queer Corps. I particularly like Gay by Nature, Absolutely Fabulous by Choice. Right? I love yeah. that one. Oh, that's sweet. And I love, because I think this pertains to so much in the world, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Absolutely. So one of those is our quote for this month. Brian and I like to close each show with a quote or two. Yeah. It's true. Well, can we get to the personal questions now? Yeah, sure. Let's sure. test them out. Zara? Yeah. What's your favorite soup? My favorite soup <laughs> is anything that you put together out of like refrigerator Velcro. Refrigerator, refrigerator Velcro. Refrigerator Velcro. Don't Never you, heard do of you this guys term. not know this term? No. Tell us. Enlighten us. It's <laughs> something that applies to soup. You can apply it to omelets and quiches. Hmm. It's when you take whatever is left over in your fridge, put it in a pot, and just let it simmer and add whatever you want until it tastes good. We've done something like this I, before. Both, we, two things come to my mind. First of all, I'm thinking of your mother from last episode oh. talking about the soup that her mother used to make her called garbage soup. True. I like refrigerator <laughs> Velcro better. I do too. But then the other one, sort of like a birthday soup, right? Oh, Just throwing everything in the right. pot, sort of a la Little Bear in the Maurice Sendak illustrated Elsa Holmlund Bitterick book. Hmm. 
Uh, let's see here. So I would love it if you could tell our listeners where they can find out more about Northwest Queer Chorus. Absolutely. So our website, nwqueerchorus.lgbt, mm-hmm. has all of our performance dates. It also has how to join our mailing lists, uh, and it has information on how to come join us, where our rehearsals are, what time, uh, and all of the little bits and pieces that make us up. We also have Instagram. We are at Northwest Queer Chorus. And uh, also on Facebook. We have a pretty hopping Facebook page. We post lots of pictures from our rehearsals and uh, calendar events and also promoting other uh, choruses here in the neighborhood. Again, just so everyone is clear out there, Northwest Queer Chorus, when they're going to Facebook or Instagram, is it just NW Queer Chorus? Yes, NW Queer Chorus. All right, great. We also have, come to think of it, if you'd like to hear a little taste of us Mm -hmm. other than this, we have some YouTube videos up. So you can also search YouTube for NW Queer Chorus and we'll pop up. Well, I know we're going to close out our show today with one of the songs, which I believe was from your very first performance ever, was it not? Very first ever. And this is Seize the Day from Newsies. Yeah. Oh, that's doesn't that have Christian Bale in it? It does. As a very a young, young Christian Bale. I'm fanning myself as we speak. <laughs> Me too. Uh, <laughs> we all are. Brian, Aunt Sarah, and I. Wow. Well, Zara, first of all, I want to thank you so much for coming down here today and being with us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. And I love that you're taking new members and people can find out more about that. And I would also like to just encourage everybody to just put music in their lives however they can. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. Stage. Happy Thank- Pride. Yes, and- happy Pride to everybody. So we should all seize the day with peace, love, and soup. And music. Yes. can <laughs> seize the day. Don't be afraid and don't delay. Nothing can break us. No one will make us give our rights away. Arise and seize the day.
gazpacho. Olé! Originating in the southern Spanish region of Andalusia, gazpacho is a cold soup made of raw vegetables, bread, garlic, olive oil, salt, and vinegar. Gazpacho is widely eaten in Spain and neighboring Portugal, particularly during the hot summer months, as it is refreshing and cool. Some people like to call it liquid salad. Ingredients, texture, and how thick the gazpacho is made vary regionally and between families. There are many modern variations of gazpacho, often in different colors such as red, white, and green, depending on ingredients. Gazpacho may be served as a starter, main dish, or as a tapa, slightly chilled but not iced, and with a variety of side garnishes such as chopped ham, slivered almonds, cumin crushed with mint, or oranges, to name a few. Well, welcome everybody to the kitchen. We're all set to make gazpacho. So excited. I showed up and Brian had all of these vegetables beautifully chopped up, ready to go for our episode. Well, I have to say that this was probably one of my more favorite soups to make, only because you know how I like to chop things, right? Have I? Yeah. And I mean, there's very little cooking. It's all just about chopping. Actually, this month there was so little cooking. We spent all of our time taking these really colorful photos. We are very proud of our photos. We do more than just cook. There's the visual element that nobody sees. Go to peaceloveandsoup.com for those. Well, fabulous. So let's make Antonio's grandmother's gazpacho. We decided to double Antonio's recipe for gazpacho. So we're just gonna walk you through the steps that we took. We took the four slices of whole wheat bread, soaked that in a quarter cup sherry wine vinegar and a quarter cup of water, and then set that aside. We took our cup of blanched almonds, put them in the cast iron pan and toasted them. All of our vegetables were already chopped. It was eight medium tomatoes, four Persian cucumbers, two peppers, half of each different color, a full red onion, two cloves of garlic, chop that all up. It's in the fridge, it's all ready to be put into the blender with a half a cup of olive oil and two tablespoons of lime juice. I notice you and I both always have this love of citrus. So it seems like in half of our episodes, we're adding lime juice or lemon juice. Yeah, and I feel like it really complements tomato flavor. And then additional things we're adding to this recipe as garnish, we have some roasted beets chopped fine, we have carrots, uh, we have lime shards as well. Anything that you want to have as a garnish afterwards, you just prep that up, mince it, chop it, dice it, and have those to just mix in at the very end for a little different texture or just setting aside that you can put on top like we're gonna do. And that's that. Now is the time to assemble all of our pieces. Normally we would do all of our prep work and then we'd be cooking. Now we're just gonna throw it all in the blender. And I will add, it is quite a hot day here in Portland. Thank God we're not turning the oven on, (laughs) right? All right, let's go. Let's go. All right, so I'm just ladling all the chopped tomatoes, onions, and peppers into the blender. That's kind of how my mom used to do it. And now we're gonna throw in our almonds. Brian, didn't you read something about over 80% of all tomatoes that are grown are canned? Oh yeah, that's right. I'm glad we didn't use any canned tomatoes in this recipe though. (laughs) All right, now we're gonna add the bread. Now we got to get this in a big enough bowl. 
So we're pouring into a big bowl and then we're going to hand fold in the olive oil. I like a cold press extra virgin. What about you? Oil, I mean. <laughs> Sorry, I realized it's this gay pride episode. I didn't want to. You didn't want to give anybody the wrong uh, idea of what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, this is that. Let me, cl let me clarify that. So half cup, right? Yeah. All right, that oil looks really well incorporated. I like it. I'm gonna do a tablespoon of salt. Are you good with that? Mm -hmm. Okay. And a teaspoon of fresh ground pepper. Yeah. Wow, is what I have to say. And it really smells great. There's a spoonful for you. Let's see here. Oh, dear Jesus. Oh, boy. <laughs> mm. It just needs to chill up and add the chunks to it. So we have this all pureed, all smooth and creamy in the Andalusian style that Antonio was talking about. But we're going to also take and fold in a bunch of those chopped vegetables. But we will keep some for our garnish of a rainbow. A few red peppers, a few orange, green peppers, onions, oh, some beets. Let's that. Now we're just going to put our gazpacho in the refrigerator, let it cool for a couple hours. And meanwhile, we'll work on our little rainbow garnish. Tave did her amazing uh, gay pride gazpacho rainbow exquisitely placed on top of the soup. It's a fun thing to do to turn food into art. You're like painting with vegetables. It is, and I would just say, if you want to do this sort of thing at home, the finer you can chop the stuff, the better. Everything's holding really well, except for the beets are wanting to sort of drag down a little bit into the bottom. And I will just add the color at first. It wasn't as red as I was expecting it to be, but since we added beets, it's really turned it into that sort of reddish tomato color so wonderful and it, and it doesn't make it taste too earthy either nothing screams beet if someone told me there were beets in it i would say no there's no beets in that mm. i really love the crunch i like the different textures from the different vegetables on top and i can envision instead of having a big pot of soup on the stove during the winter i could see having a big pitcher of this in the refrigerator to just dish out whenever you wanted mm. i'm sorry I, I was eating while you were talking <clears throat> the tomato plants that you're planting mm -hmm. come August, September, when they're Gosh. bearing fruit. Imagine the gazpacho you're going to be making. With your rainbow-making expertise and your homegrown tomatoes, your gazpacho is going to rock it all summer long. As we mentioned, I grew up having gazpacho because Huggy used to make it, but truthfully, it's not something I was ever making for my own family. So we're going to start up that tradition again. And having the ability to put whatever additional garnishes on, I think that's brilliant for everybody. You could have a full vegan soup, or if you're a meat eater, as your garnish, bacon for all the oh, Portland bacon lovers. Yes, bacon. <laughs> Bloody Mary. Oh my gosh. With the vodka. Peace, love, and soup after dark. Or breakfast gazpacho. Soup for breakfast. There it is. We've just reached a whole new market segment. Wow. Peace, love, and rainbows to you, Brian Delaney. Peace, love, pride, and soup to you, Tave. On that note, happy gay pride, everyone. Enjoy making our gazpacho any time of the year. And have a gay old time regardless. Gazpacho, it's for you. On the stage, keep it light, keep it bright, keep it gay. Whether it's murder, mayhem, or rage, don't complain, it's a pain. Keep it gay. A happy ending will pep up your play. 
Keep it gay. Keep it gay. Keep it gay. Gracias por escuchando A Paz, Amor e Sopa. Contave e Benito. And now, we'd like to leave you with our own quote. Like a fruiting vegetable, we humans bloom when ready and defy strict classification. I catch me down south at Kroger's. Do you know what I mean? I remember when Kifu, when Kifu was back when was in the hood and he made a joke. Yo, Whole Foods, yo, I'm a... Next month, we heat stuff up with chili and we cool off with chill tunes. And on that spicy note, we're going out to Jai Hurdle's original song, Cherry Tomatoes. You can find him on SoundCloud. There's far too many choices. I only want it if it's cherry red. Can I get away with you? Run away with you, feed your tomatoes. For more information about today's show, along with artist links, photos, recipes, and more, go to peaceloveandsoup.com. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. At Peace, Love, and Soup. Turn these crumbs into croutons. Snap peas and snap program. Ain't no need for the croutons. See, we could just be getting by. Or hit that produce section with our standard time. There's far too many choices. I only want it for cherry red. Can I get away with you? Run away with you? Feed your tomatoes. Wanna feed your tomatoes? Wanna feed your tomatoes? As always, peace, love, and soup. Audio nourishment for both the heart and the mind. <laughs>